Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. Check back weekly to stay up to date with what God is doing here in the life of our church. To learn more information, you can find us online at sturkey.church. Our prayer here at the church at Sturkey Hills is that you are moved by this message. Guys, thanks for tuning in and have a blessed week. Now, let me tell you a little story here. Uh, so many of you know, uh, before I came over here five years ago, I was working on my doctoral, uh, a doctoral program, and I was about 80%, 90% complete, and I was toast. I was over the doctoral program, and uh, I didn't really have a good paragraph left in me to write. Uh, and so at the same time, God opened up a door for us to be a part of this revitalization. And so I put my uh, thesis on hold, and I'm, I haven't written anything since. In fact, I've I don't know if I still can. However, it's been an unfinished project, a little bit of a burden that comes up from time to time. And so I tried to get it going again through Liberty University, which is where I went for my doctoral work. And it just seemed like the doors kept closing. And it was a little bit frustrating. And then out of nowhere, uh, I got introduced to uh, Dr. Edens. And Dr. Edens, Byron Edens, he's the vice president of Piedmont International University and Temple uh, Baptist Seminary. And uh, down in Chattanooga. And uh, we met over the phone. And uh, I'm going to be completing my doctoral work uh, at Piedmont International University. Now, here's what's funny about that. The reason I felt like God closed the door for me to finish before was because of the work required for a revitalization process here at the church at Sturkey Hills. And so now what it looks like, I'll be finishing it while we're building a $4 million building in the field over next to it. So there's good timing for you right there. However, I'm very, very excited about it for myself. And I've had many of you and, and those maybe who aren't here today or in the early service who have expressed interest in education and furthering your education and you're at a crossroads and you really don't want to do, don't know what to do. And so so as a church, I'm hoping that we can help provide an opportunity and a way for people to further their education right here through the church. That's what we're considering and looking at. And so with that, I want to introduce you to our speaker today, Dr. Byron Edens. And uh, he lives in Cleveland, I guess, or near Chattanooga. Outside of Chattanooga. And uh, his wife, Teresa, is right here. I failed to introduce her earlier. I apologize for that. And uh, he has, they have a, a son and a daughter uh, who are also training to be in ministry. And uh, he is, as I mentioned, the vice president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention, also the vice president of Piedmont International University. And he's traveled all over the world preaching the gospel. He's a chaplain. He's trained uh, law enforcement in being uh, evangelistic in their efforts. Uh, he's uh, a man of God, and this is what I love about him. Uh, he came to the early service, and for those of you who have ever came, come to an early service, we typically have somewhere around 100 people. It's fall break. We probably had 80 people in that service. And he came and preached as if, as if there were 8,000. I mean, uh, guns blazing. I just love that. There's something about that's real, about when the Holy Spirit wakes you up in the morning, you've got a message or a sermon on your heart, and the opportunity to stand behind a table or a pulpit to preach, uh, he's put you there for a reason, and you better give it all you got. And he does that. So you won't go to sleep. I'm just going to tell you that right now. So you're used to that. So with that, show some love for my friend, Dr. Byron Edens. Thank you, Joel. Well, I'm, ex I'm excited to be here today and excited to be a, a part of your church at, at Sturkey Hills. And uh, as you saw the videos that, were, uh, that we just previously shared on my infomercial for Piedmont International University, I bring you greetings from our president, Dr. Charles Pettit. 
We have an opportunity, and also bring you greetings from the Tennessee Baptist Convention from Brother Randy Davis as his vice president of the Tennessee Baptist Convention this year. So if you know what it's like to try to be in two roles in five places at, at, in three different times, it is always going. One time when I was traveling, um, I, this was several years ago, uh, Dr. Danny Lovett was our president at Tennessee Temple. I had been in, in Vietnam and Cambodia, and I called him back. He said, when are you going to be home? I said, yesterday. He said, what do you mean? I said, I crossed the international date line. I'm leaving tomorrow, and I'm coming back yesterday. Now, that will mess with your mind, okay? <laughs> but wherever we are, we're called to do what God's called us to do in training people to witness. One of the things in our E412 program is an opportunity to work in partnership with your church. Uh, Piedmont International University has degrees from high school dual enrollment. In any high school that decides to work with us, that you can get your seniors and juniors in high school already enrolled in college online with us doing their, their required work. My daughter did that herself and, and got some work ahead of time, almost a half a year of her college done at even more extremely lower prices for the dual enrollment as well as uh, Piedmont International University offers from associate degree all the way to a Ph.D., and on the Ph.D., the only time you have to come to the school is, if, is, is to do a residency, one five-day residency. Everything can be done online, done in the local church, especially our E-412 program. E-412 program is based on, of course, our Ephesians 412, where it talks about we're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And part of my heart in evangelism and part of my heart is seeing that we not only go out and witness, but we train others how to duplicate that witness. If we're really going to be Christians affecting the change of the world, we have to invest in those that are around us. And that's what Sturkey Hills is doing. And I'm excited about that. Uh, something else that would also help in your church is, as Ken Ham was sharing, he is one of our partners in that. Uh, Alex McFarlane does our apologetics courses. You should know those names as well. We have some world-class uh, professors that are doing the courses by video. So essentially in your church, what happens is if you decide to partner with us and you want to do this, it works on a cycle, some things I didn't share with you yet, it works on a cycle of, of, of the church. I can't get pastors to do anything until after Christmas. I can't get them to do anything until after Mother's Day. And I can't get them to do anything after New Year's Day. So we, we work actually Labor Day weekend. So we actually run the E-412 courses after New Year's Day, after Mother's Day starting, and after Labor Day when everybody's back in school on a 12-week cycle. So that works along with churches to where, let's say that you decided, hey, we wanted to do origins which, uh, and teach our people about what the origins uh, against the evolutionists of our earth. One of the things that we look out there in evolution and creationism, there is a, well, I believe that God created us in His image. And I believe the Bible is very true from cover to cover. Uh, I am, a, I am an, uh, an extreme uh, conservative when it comes to theology. And I'm an inerrantist, which believes I believe everything that God said. I believe old Dr. E.V. Hill, years ago, stood in one of our conventions and said, uh, I believe that God stepped out of nowhere, stood on nothing, said, let it be, and it was. And that's the way he is. That's the way our God is. He created the scriptures for us to expound upon and to use in training others. Something else uh, for your pastor I was sharing a little bit in an earlier, earlier service was that I am, uh, uh, my heart is for training pastors and leaders and church people specifically about the scriptures and to get their education done. It took me 17 years, one course at a time, driving from South Carolina all the way down to, all the way down to Atlanta for 30 hours of a 90-hour master's degree, 
back and forth, and then doing the other, the other uh, part of it had to be done online, back and forth for 17 years, one course at a time. I hold the uh, record of all six Southern Baptist seminaries on the longest enduring Master Divinity student. Baptist Press News ran an article on me that said, Persistent student finishes seminary degree after 17 years in 2001. So if you don't think my heart's into seeing people trained and seeing them come to know the Lord, that is one of the reasons why I am all across Tennessee and around the world and other states. We have eight, op- eight actually organizations operating in Tennessee from Kingsport uh, to Millington on the other side, all the way down to Chattanooga. Our home, my home church is, is, is Clinton Ridge Baptist Church. And my pastor's taking this. He didn't finish his master's degree. He's almost finished it up. He's in the same classes with my daughter, by the way. And so God is opening so many doors. But you don't have to take it for a degree. You can just sit in the church while somebody else is watching the videos. And you can also be a part of that. And then let them log in or not and do all the, the tests and the homework. But you can get the opportunity of gaining the same training uh, as, a, as a partner with us in ministry. Something else, being a partner with Piedmont allows anybody who is registering for classes... Uh, you can get 25% off your tuition, whether it's an associate, bachelor's, master of divinity, or PhD, you get 25% off by being able to be a partner with us. And I'm excited about that opportunity because God opens so many doors. You can go to Piedmont for one-third the cost that you can go just about to any other university. For instance, you could go three years with us for the same price you would go one year with someone else. So anyway, that's the infomercial. I would like for you to take your Bible, if you would, this morning and turn with me as we go into God's Word in uh, Ezekiel chapter 2, in just a moment, beginning in verse 8 and following forward. But let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to come before you, and we ask you to expound upon your Word. Lord, that you would allow us to have an opportunity, Lord, not only to expound upon your Word, but apply it to our lives as we look at Ezekiel's life. And this spokesman to the unconcerned God, how you have blessed us in so many different ways. And Lord, how the word of God just is is, as sharp as any two-edged sword. And we ask you to apply it to our lives as we dig dig into what your call was for Ezekiel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The title of the message this morning is A Spokesman to the Unconcerned. How many times have you met people in life that just were plain unconcerned about things in life? I remember uh, there was a story about this young man one time. He was driving his car and was going downtown, and, and he saw this lady trying to pull into a parking space. And so he decides he's going to get in there before she does. He's got a sports car. So he goes mm, right back in that parking space. She's an older lady with a brand-new Cadillac, and she's trying to back in that parking space. And as she goes to back in, he, she sees he's taking her spot. So he gets out, she gets out the car and says, What do you think you're doing, Sonny? He says, lady, I'm smart and I'm young and I'm quick. Deal with it. Click, click. He locked the door and walked on in the store. When a few minutes he heard metal crunching, looked outside, and she had her brand new Cadillac ramming his sports car, riding up on the sidewalk and taking that parking space. He says, lady, what do you think you're doing? And she said, let me tell you something, Sonny. I'm old and I'm mean and I'm rich. You deal with it. <laughs> so we find folks out there that are just plain unconcerned in life. Had one guy was out there on, a, on an island by himself, been stranded for many, many years. Finally, a ship comes along, and it looks out there and sees these, these, uh, these three huts, and two of them got smoke coming out of them, and they come up on the shoreline to be able to talk with, you know, to find out what's going on. And so the guy runs out and says, finally, somebody's come to rescue me. He says, well, are you the only one on the island? He said, yes. 
He said, we see three huts and two of them got smoking. He said, oh, that's my home in the middle. And that's the church I attend over there. I said, well, what's that over there? That's the church I used to attend. I got mad and left them and started my own. <laughs> you know, we have unconcerned people that just get involved in things in life. Well, we are called to preach and to teach to those unconcerned folks. Looking in God's word, Ezekiel was, was, was a man of God. The introduction to Ezekiel, a little bit of the background is, Ezekiel was a personal name, meaning God will strengthen. He was a 6th century prophet, B.C. prophet, during the Babylonian exile. He was the son of Messiah and a priest as well as a prophet. He was taken captive to Babylon in 597 B.C. by King Nebuchadnezzar. And he lived, and he lived in his own house at Tel Aviv near the river Chabar. That was in the northern kingdom of Israel. Israel's name, Ezekiel's call came in 597 B.C., the 30th year. He was a young man, probably 30 years of old. And he was called the Son of Man. As you look and see these pictures, this actually is from the Sea of Galilee when I was over there several years ago and took pictures of that, uh, sharing the message of God comes from all over the world as we see those that are concerned about, uh, about life. And we think about the, our history of Ezekiel's calling was God called him to go right back home in the land of Israel to preach and teach the gospel. Now think about that as we go through because a lot of this message will be pertinent to the fact that, that Sturkey Hills, God's called you here, and He's called you to go out in the highways and byways and lead people to Jesus Christ. And so God uses the term Son of Man as the, as the, on the humanity and frailty of the prophet. It is a title later to reveal the prophet's sense of identity with his people and a meaning which the Christians also came to attach to the term when applied to Jesus. Just as you look at Ezekiel's call and his call to go to his people, you see the Son of Man being shared there is the same title that is attributed to Christ in the New Testament. So, first of all, we look in chapter 2, beginning down in verse number 8. And it says, But thou Son of Man, hear what I say unto thee. Be not thou rebellious like the rebellious house. Open thy mouth and eat what I give thee. And when I looked, behold, a hand was sent unto me, and lo, a roll of a book was therein. And he spread it before me, and it was written within... And without, and there was written there lamentation and mourning and woe. And so as we look and see, first of all, we are called to trust God's word. You see, Ezekiel was sent a scroll. And a scroll was written at that time within and without. Now what that means is they would take the old parchment and they would write on a scroll all the way across it. They would flip it on the back side and write on the back side of it for the very purpose of being able to say parchment in many of the Old Testament scrolls. Something else is important about that that I think is relevant for us in the New Testament, beyond the New Testament period, is it's written within and without. That means it not only had the good things of God, it also has the bad things that happen. Uh, the history of God's people, how God's people didn't do what they were supposed to do. How Ezekiel was called to go and to preach to people at home that, wasn't gonna li that didn't want to listen to the Word of God. Yet his calling was sure anyway. So number one... We're to trust God's Word. And God's Word will cut asunder into our hearts like a two-edged sword. From within and without, it is to reach in the marrow of our hearts and the, and, and the power of our lives and to show us where we need to come before God. So trust God's Word. Secondly, we are to devour the Word. Looking on down into verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, it says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak into the house of Israel. In other words, devour the word. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll, 
And he said unto me, Son of man, cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth as honey for sweetness. You see, the scroll was like honey. There's an old saying that says, you are what you eat. Just because I eat pork doesn't make me a pig. But if I hang around enough garbage cans and eat out of garbage cans, sooner or later I'm going to stink and I'm going to act a little bit more like the world than I would by acting like what God wants us to do in His Word. He wants us to take the Word. He wants us to devour the Word. And the Word can come in preaching. The Word can come in music. One of the things I was sharing with Brother Joe was, I love music. I grew up playing the guitar and harmonica with my dad. And, and, and it used to play for a, a bluegrass band and, and square dancers. And God kind of baptized that and got me ch- changed around a little bit. But I still love bluegrass. Amen. <laughs> I still love, I love, love doing music. But when I go in a foreign land and I pull out a guitar and a harmonica and walk down the street in a foreign land, you can imagine what I look like, okay? And they see that harmonica, what that thing around his neck, you know. Uh, but, but God opens so many doors when we preach the Word, and we minister the Word, and we share the Word, and we sit down with people, and we disciple the Word. That's one of the reasons for the E412 ministry, is that we can you give this gift at $99 a credit hour for someone to get their master's degree. It's unheard of in the world. Uh, you know, and we think about the opportunity of training people and getting them into the Word of God so they can do exactly what he was doing, devouring the Word. Thirdly, we're to share God's Word. Look at verses 4 through 7. He said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of strange speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to a many people of a strange speech and of a hard language, whose words thou cannot understand. Surely had I sent thee to them, they would have hearkened unto thee. And so we are to share God's word, not to strange people, but home folks, to the house of Israel. Now, how would you like to be Ezekiel, receiving the call of God? And God says, I want you to, to receive my call. I want you to go out and preach. Okay, God, where do you want me to go? Africa? You want me to go to Cambodia? You want me to go to Vietnam? Where do you want me to go? He said, no, I want you to go right back home. And I want you to go to sit down with those hard-headed people that you're around. And those family members and all those that, that, are, that, that are sometimes are unconcerned. And I want you to minister to them. My wife and I, I love her, and I asked if I could share these, these, these stories with you, so she, so she said they were fine for me to share. But when we first started uh, dating and got married, uh, uh, there's something about me, I'm an extrovert, she's not quite as extroverted as I am, and whenever she gets mad with me, there, there's always silence on the other side of the car, wherever I'm at, and I have to kind of get something out of her. So we were riding down the road and going around through, these, through this valley and this, uh, in this countryside, and and she wasn't speaking to me. I don't know what I'd done. I didn't know what I'd done to be able to get her mad with me, but uh, I, I got her upset. And so I looked over at her, and I looked out in the field, and I saw three donkeys out there. And I thought I'd lighten a moment a moment. And so I looked over there. I said, hey, honey, look, some of your relatives? She said, yes, by marriage. <laughs> yeah, I'm the donkey, all right? And so, uh, you know, so she, she got me right in my place. Well, there's another story that goes along with that that I was kind of saving to this, to this second service was the fact that my wife and I, when we first were called together in the ministry, after I had been serving a church and been pastoring the churches, I met my wife at the end of that first pastorate and uh, accepted the call in evangelism. And we moved into a little community called Riverland Park in Casey, West Columbia, where I served in the, with the South Carolina Baptist Convention as a church planter and a new work start. And during that time, we went from 14 people to 120, and I baptized over 100, 
over 110 of those uh, in the river and in the baptistry we had at the little church. First, we had to baptize in the river. you got to be careful when you do that. you got to go out and clean out the river down there below the Congaree River, wherever the chicken, uh, puts its, chicken house puts its waste in there. you got to make sure when you're baptizing, you've got a clean place. Well, I had to do all that, but one, one evening, my wife had decided that she was going to have at our house in that little area a, a, a wedding uh, shower. And so I, that's time for me to leave, you know. And so I decided I was going to go and visit the state hospital in Columbia. Now, that's the place where the mental institution is. And we had one young girl had tried to commit suicide and had slipped both her wrists. And she was in there. So I figured I would go visit that evening. And so I got to the state hospital like I had been there time and time again. I drove my van through the back gate instead of going through the front gate and parked at the back. Well, the guards knew me pretty well, you know. And so I'd come on in and and I went on to into the the uh, into the psychiatric ward at the very back, where it was under under top security. Went in and visited with this young lady, and I wasn't watching my watch like I am this morning, okay? And what watching the time, and it passed nine o'clock. Little did I know, at nine o'clock the shift changed, okay? So I come back down, and I start out the doors that were open there, and I hit the first door, and it didn't, and it didn't open. I had the same Bible here with me, and I put my Bible down, I hit the second door, and I said, they've locked me in. And I heard this voice behind me say, yes, and you're not getting out. And I looked back, and that security guard said, well, I said, I'm a preacher. I got my Bible. I said, he said, where's your credentials? I said, they're in the van out there, right outside the door there. He said, I'm sorry, I can't let you out. Is there anybody you can call to verify who you are? And why didn't you come through the front gate? I said, well, I, it's easier to come around the back. And I said, the guard that was here before knew who I was. He said, but I don't know you. And he said, let's go up and see if we can work this out. So we go up to the security desk. And Teresa's not home with all these ladies, and they're having a good time, all right? He said, anybody you can call? I said, yes, my wife. She can verify who I am, and maybe you can find my credentials. So they started trying to find my credentials on the computer. It took them a little while to boot it up, and they, they put speakerphone through the, through the bars there. And I felt real uncomfortable, all right? And dialed the number for me. And, and she answers the phone. Hello? I said, Teresa, this is your husband. I'm at the state hospital. They've got me locked in here right now until you can verify who I am. She says, honest to goodness, Byron who? I said, honey, this is not funny. Byron who? And then she didn't know it was on speakerphone. She said, y'all, y'all, guess what? They finally locked him up. By that time, my picture came up on the screen with my chaplain's identification. The guys were all laughing. I didn't think it was funny at all. I thought it was unconcerned about me and my position. Well, you're going to find people out there that are unconcerned that are in God's house. Family members that are unconcerned. Those who decide not to do what they should do. And so, looking in the Word of God as we go to verse number 7, it says, But the house of Israel, look at verse 6, Not too many people of a strange speech and of a hard language whose words thou cannot understand. Surely I sent you to some foreign land, that's Byron Eden's paraphrasing, they would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-headed. He's saying, Brother Joel, I've called you to go to preach to people that are hard-headed, that won't listen to you. They might not ever accept Jesus, but I've called you to go preach to them anyway. That's our calling and as ministry, not only in pastors, but also in Sunday school teachers, in deacons, and those who have accepted the call to Jesus, we're to go out in the highways and the byways. We're to compel them to come in that God's house might be filled. But listen, if you've got a specific calling like Ezekiel had to go back to his home folks, I'm sure he said, well, now wait a minute, God. I'm going to preach, and I'm going to witness, and I'm going to minister, and nobody's going to listen to me. He said, that's right. 
because they wouldn't listen to me. Wow, what a calling. You see, we're preaching to hard-headed people. We're, so number four, we're not to, to be afraid to preach God's holy word. You know, if we do what God's called us to do, look at verse number eight. It says, Behold, I have made thy face strong against their face, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an outermost harder than a flint have I made their forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart, and hear with thine ears, and go get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear, or whether they will forbear. So we see that the power of God is he's got to go, and he's got to preach. I remember this first church that I served as full-time pastor. I would moved in there and, and gotten involved in the church, and we had our first business meeting. I'm standing up there, and we had decided we were going to minister to this one deacon's family who needed, uh, who needed some, some assistance in being able to get their, their light bill paid. And the man was on deathbed, and he couldn't pay his light bill. His brother-in-law was one of my deacons. I had no idea that this deacon was lost and that he didn't want anything to do to help his own brother-in-law. And so that Sunday morning, we had decided with the, with the other parts of the deacons that we were going to set aside a fund to minister to people. That the chairman of deacons and that I would oversee and it would be reported to the church. Well, that was all miscombobulated between that deacon and the clerk getting the message to the front of the church. I was the moderator at the time. So when the, they read the motion, it was that the, the, the treasurer would be signing off on it and the chairman of deacons, and it wouldn't be an oversight of the pastor. And I said, I don't think that's the way it was. I want to just uh, halt the motion for a moment, and let's go pull the deacons' minutes and read the right minutes into the, into the, uh, into the, uh, to the record. This deacon gets up and says, Pastor, you're a liar. You're a liar. And he starts out the back door of the church. I, went, I said, hold up just a second, folks. We'll have a little pause here. I got off the pulpit, and I went. I caught him before he got to the back door of the church, and I pulled him in the side room. I did not know how loud my voice was. And I said, brother, so-and-so, you're not going to act like this in the church as long as I'm pastor here. And you're going to get your life straightened out or you're not going to serve on this deacon board. I said, I'm not going to have this kind of stuff going on in a business meeting in the church. God's called us to be a house of holiness and not of confusion. And you know dead well what I was presenting was exactly what we talked about in the deacons. He said, well, I don't want to help my brother-in-law. I said, that's between you and God and him, not between this church. And if you can't act like a Christian, don't come back until you can. He said, I'm gone. He slammed the door and went out. He came back two weeks later. I walked back in the church, and all the church was sitting there. They could hear everything I said. I didn't know it. I said, let's go on with the next part of the business. Do you know the whole three and a half years I served there, we never had another bad business meeting, amen? Because they knew that it meant business. This is exactly where that comes from. As an adamant, harder than a flint, you've got to stand up for what's right. You've got to stake your cause on what Jesus has called you to do. Here Ezekiel was going to go back home to those folks that didn't care anything about God. And he was to preach to them. And so not only do we see that, don't back down. But number five, we're to have a heart for the unconcerned. Looking at verse 11 through 16, he says, Now go get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of thy people, and speak unto them, and tell them, Thus saith the Lord God. Notice, that, notice the personal name of God being used here, Yahweh God being shared there. That is the personal name. When you see Lord in the New Testament, and you see Lord in the Old Testament, that is just like saying Daddy God, okay? This is, the, this is the personal name of God being used 
to those who were Jewish in nature. And here he said, the Lord God, he said, thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. So then the Spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing, saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. And I also heard the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touched one another and the noise of the wheels over against them and the noise of a great rushing. Anytime you see winged creatures, those are seraphims and angelic presences. So as he was going through this call, as he received this vision of the Word of God, as the Spirit of God was ministering to him, he was in the Spirit, my friends, and he heard the Spirit. He heard the voices of the rushing and the, and the wings of the creatures around speaking unto him. And this is what it shared with him. So the Spirit lifted me up and took me away. I went in the bitterness and the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. He said, my gracious, what a calling. I'm not going to be successful. By the way, God never called you to be successful, Pastor. He called you to be faithful. And that's exactly what we need to remember. And when we go and we preach and we teach, He's called us to be faithful, to do what He's called us to do. I remember one time being in over in India and sharing the gospel in the streets of India. I had to have a permit to go out and do preaching over there. Or they would lock you up. So we had probably around 300 people had gathered in an inner city area. And I'd preached and whenever, when I'd finished speaking, those, those Indian people, they had to, I had to work through a translator. And it was kind of funny because the pastor's wife was, was, was when, I, when I got to that little area to speak, she had one of those microphones and and I, did, I heard a woman's voice just in, you know, in Hindi just a, going away. And all of a sudden she said, Preacher, I got them warmed up for you. Now you preach. <laughs> so I shared the gospel. I shared the, the power of, uh, I used John 3.16. Many of those came up and said, please pray, 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 pray. So I put my hands and I was praying for these folks. And the next thing I know, I was almost a block away going down this long corridor. And my, my friend Dwight hollered at me from the other side. He said, hey, Byron. I said, yeah, Dwight. He said, you know where you are? I said, yeah, I'm in India. He said, no, you're right in the middle of the leper and the AIDS colony. I said, so what? They need Jesus anyway. He said, carry on. I continued to pray. The sickest I've ever been, I came back from that trip, and I ended up getting a parasite. And I went from 189 pounds down to 149. I'm about midway between that now, okay? It took a long time, four months almost of medicines to get over that sickness. I didn't get AIDS, and I didn't get leprosy. But I got sick doing the work of God in the heat of my spirit. I was sharing, your pastor just got back from some vacation. He needs time off because ministering at times will wear you slap out. But there's nothing more rewarding than seeing one soul come to know Jesus. By the way, I found out later that all of those in the, I said, how long will these people in this leper colony and AIDS colony last over here? He said, about, about a year. They'll all be dead. Children, everybody that's in there will be dead. I said, so if we hadn't shared the gospel there, those folks would have died without Jesus. He said, you're exactly right. That's why I bring people here all the time. You see, we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. Amen? That's our Lord. He wants us to do the calling. Now, following as we draw to conclusion, we are to have not only the Spirit and to preach God's holy word and have a heart for the unconcerned, but we're to be led by His Spirit. Notice verse 14 said, The hand of the Lord was strong upon me. He said, Then I came to them of the captivity of Tel Aviv that dwelt by the river of Chabar, and I sat where they sat and remained astonished among them, 
seven days. You see, sometimes we get up in life and we have to be, we sometimes get to the point that we're on an ivory tower. We're going to wear our suits and we're going to be above everybody. God tells us to, at times, as he did there, go and sit down among those who need ministry. To sit down among those to whom you're going to be ministering to. To decide that you're going to do exactly the calling of God. That you love someone no matter what, no matter what's going on in their lives. That you love them no matter what their background is. I can share with you one time in Jamaica, I had a chance to go the very first time I did a ministry there. 5,000 people came unto an open air meeting and I had no microphone out there. And I was younger back in that day, but they all heard me, and 3,000 of them made decisions for Jesus Christ. In an open field, in the middle of Jamaica, God can open doors. Three years ago, I began going to Sierra Leone, Africa, doing law enforcement conferences over there. Uh, the, the, that was during the Ebola crisis, if you all remember what happened. So 4,000 deaths took place. God said, Byron, I want you to go. And so the Rawlings Foundation, one of our supporters of Piedmont, and a longtime friend of mine said, uh, they need a law enforcement officer, and I'm a certified law enforcement officer as well. Uh, I don't get any pay for that. I do it because God's called me to, and my doctoral demon thesis was on law enforcement chaplaincy. So I went over there, rebaptized my part of my dissertation on, on that to be able to write for the Sierra Leone country a new law enforcement chaplaincy training manual. One of the things that they told me when I got there was, we want God in our officers. You preach. You teach. And so during the three years, I shared with them about integrity and, and how, to, how to witness. And the last one, they said, we want you to teach us how to witness. So the last Wednesday of that conference, even though I had shared with them not to take bribes, they had country, all over the country the next year, do not take bribe or call 511. The inspector general, the third leader of the country, will will prosecute any officer who takes a bribe. So God was making already differences. In that third year, we trained 400 officers in their uniforms how to go out and witness. 969 people in Sierra Leone, Freetown, Africa made decisions for Christ in one afternoon by duplication of witnesses. It made national news. My picture wasn't in it. I didn't want my picture in it. I wanted the chaplain over there, and it was a blessing to that country. You see, if we do what God's called us to do, we're to have a heart for those that don't have Jesus. We're to go out and we're to be led by the Spirit, be astonished, sit down with the people and feel their pain. And last but not least, the final point of the message is we have to be a dependable watchman of God's Word. Follow with me. As it says in verse 16, it came to pass at the end of seven days. The word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman in the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth, and give them a warning from me. And when I say unto the wicked, Thou shalt surely die, and thou, not givest, and thou givest him not warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way, to save his life, the same, man, uh, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at thy hand. You notice that word iniquity is listed there. There are three kinds of unrighteousness that we deal with in our lives. One is called sin. And that is when we miss the mark of God's desire. There's a target out there, and we take a bow and arrow, and we go and stretch it, and we go to shoot that target. And wherever that, that, that arrow falls short of the target is called the sin of the arrow. There was an old lady who lived out in the country one time years ago, and had a new pastor came, and 
he was going to go and minister to her. And they said, Miss Effie says she's a crackerjack shot with a rifle. So I wouldn't go visit her, Pastor, during, during the nighttime. I'd always go during the day. So he drives down and he goes out to the farm. And as he's coming up, he sees a barn. And he looks on the side of the barn and there's 20 targets there. And there's a dead center hole in every one of the targets. And he's, whoa. So he drives on up to the porch. He gets out and says, Miss Effie, I'm your new pastor. She said, come on up. She had a rifle sitting there beside a rocking chair. He said, ah, I'm your new pastor. I wanted to come visit you. And I understand you're a crackerjack shot with a rifle. She said, well, some things can be deceiving. And he said, well, tell me what you're talking about. She said, well, about three years ago, said, before my husband died, I got mad with him. And as I shot up the barn. Then I went and painted a target on each one of the holes. You see, we do the same thing in our lives with sin. We want to put a target out there, and we're not missing the mark. But she was. That's called sin. The second kind of unrighteousness is trespasses. That's where we step across the line that God has drawn. God has said, don't commit adultery, don't do fornication. All these things he's told us in our lives. Remember the psalmist David. He had sin in his heart when he saw Bathsheba, another man's wife. When he called her to him, he stepped across the line. And then thirdly is that word iniquity you'll find in that passage right there. That word iniquity doesn't translate well in other languages. But it means twistedness. When we take sin and we rationalize it and we put our own little scope around it and try to clean it up. That's called iniquity. That's when we twist the truth of God. Such as King, King David did whenever he took Bathsheba unto his wife after he had her husband killed on the front line. I'm the king. I can do what I want to. But yet remember the prophet. Nathan says, Thou art the man that has done this. And his heart was rent, and he saw the error of his ways, and he confessed his sin, he confessed his trespasses, and he confessed his iniquity. Here, people are dying in iniquity, the twistedness of life. And God says, We've got to go out, and we've got to preach, and we've got to share, we've got to love them, and we've got to do what God's called to do to get them to Christ. But if they don't respond, that's not our responsibility. It's our responsibility to preach. Look what he says. Yet if thou warned the wicked, verse 19, and he turned not from his wickedness, from his, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. So we're called to be a watchman of God's word. We're to preach to the lost. Their blood will be on our hands if we don't share it. And we are to be life savers. About years ago in the uh, Oka Roke Lighthouse in North Carolina, I was reading a story about that lighthouse. And it used to be a life-saving station behind it. Because of the weather and because of the storms that happened years later, the lighthouse uh, life-saving station was destroyed. But while it was fully going, one night on the sea, there was a ship tossing. About 32 to, uh, 28 to 32 crested waves were there. The bell of the lighthouse rang. The master lighthouse got the lifesavers up. They went out to the edge of the water, and he was pulling the boat, and all of a sudden the boat got heavy. And he stopped, and he looked back, and he saw three guys, the three lifesavers on one side and another, and said, What's the matter, guys? we got to go out there. And, uh, and he said, but, Master, if we go out there, we might not come back. He says, we have to go out there. We're lifesavers. We don't have to come back. You see, the calling of God is that we decide in our lives that we're going to do something for the Lord. We're not going to let somebody get us down about it. I know that God's called me to be a soldier in God's army. I'm a soldier in God's army. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, and the Word are the weapons of warfare. I've been taught by the Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I'm a volunteer in this army, and I'm enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in this army at the rapture or die in this army, but I will not get out, I will not sell out, or be talked out. I'm faithful and capable and dependable. If my God needs me, I am here. I'm a soldier in God's army, a prayer warrior. I'm not a baby. I don't have to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I am a soldier and a prayer warrior. No one has to call me and remind me and write me and visit me and entice me and allure me to come to church. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior. I'm not a wimp. I'm in place saluting my king, obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior in God's army. No one has to send me flowers or gifts or foods or cards or candy or give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled. Cradled, uh, cradled or cared to or catered to. I'm committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me aside. I cannot be discouraged enough to, to be turned aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. When my Jesus called me into this army, I had nothing. If I, if, I, I, if I die with nothing, I will still come out even. I will win. My God will supply all my needs through, through, his, through, through, the, through the power of his own self. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. The scripture says, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. I am a soldier, a prayer warrior in God's army. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot beat me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot handle me. I'm a soldier in God's army. I join you. ask you to join up in God's army. Would you be willing to go even if you don't see results? Would you be willing to, to do what God's called you to do, to be a part of that calling of God against the wiles of the devil and to those that are unconcerned about God? We are to be the spokesman to the unconcerned. And as we do that, we'll train people just the same way we're talking about. God's called us in Ephesians 4.12 to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. And that's what this is, is a body of Christ. Would you join me as a soldier in God's army? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as musicians make their way to the instruments and as our pastor comes to stand here to receive those who will make a decision for you today or maybe have made a decision even earlier in the service, I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would guide us during this time of invitation. Maybe someone has come today and they don't know for certain that they've got eternal life. Then today's the day to clear up that doubt. I remember at age seven when I made Jesus my Savior and Lord. I remember, remember recommitting my heart, Lord, to you at age 18. Three other men accepted the call to preach that same time at age 18. I'm the only one still preaching the gospel of those three. And Lord, I ask you, God, to, that you might touch someone today. You might be calling someone, first of all, to be saved. And the Bible is very clear. In Romans 10, 9, it says, If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And through the mouth confession is made into salvation. And so, Lord, your word says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I remember on the cross, there was one thief that rebuked you. And said, Lord, if you who you are, prove yourself. And the other one looked over at him and said, Lord, remember me. When you come in your kingdom and you looked at that thief that believed on you and you said, today you shall be with me in paradise. 
That means, God, that, that salvation is instantaneous. It is when we ask Jesus to come in our heart. We don't have to be cleaned up to come to you. We come to you and you do the cleaning, God. And so this morning, if you want to receive Jesus as your Savior, you want to know for certain you have eternal life, then I invite you to pray a prayer similar to this. As even you talk to the Lord and just tell Him something like this. Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner and I cannot save myself. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to come in my heart right now and give me eternal life right now in Jesus' name. Help me to know from this moment forward that the penalty of my sins have been washed away and that I have a, a new relationship with you, Lord. Help me to grow. Help me to be a member of your family, a responsible member. In Jesus' name I pray.